So let's go to the Word today. Matthew chapter 6 is where we are. We're in a sermon series where we're going line by line through the entire book of Matthew. That's going to take us some time, y'all. And uh, we've been in chapters 5 and 6 for the last four or five weeks. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 are the piece of the book of Matthew that's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preached a sermon, his most famous sermon, that stretches across chapters 5, 6, and 7. And so we're digging back into that a little bit more today. And what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's describing in a beautiful way what life is like for people who follow Jesus as they live their lives out in this world. He's describing in just a beautiful captivating sort of way what kingdom people's lives look like even while they're living their lives in a broken world in a messy world right and in a complicated world and that's that's something that if you're a kingdom person today and what I mean by that is you've given Christ your life you're a follower of Jesus then man this hits home for us because how are we to navigate how are we to live in the circumstances that we find ourselves in in the world that we live in as kingdom people in this place so so far in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus has said hey kingdom people have attitudes that are different Attitudes that are different. They have a different purpose. They have a different understanding. Kingdom people have a different standard. Last week we talked about how kingdom people have a different way to worship God. And today, write this down. Here's where we're going to go today. Jesus will tell us today that kingdom people have a different set of eyes. Kingdom people have a different set of eyes to live with in the world that you and I live. When you trust Jesus to save you. He puts in you a new heart, and in that heart, he gives you a new set of eyes, the eyes of your heart. Do y'all remember in youth group days? Some of y'all are way too old for this being your, I'm too old for this to be my youth group. But y'all remember that song where you say, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Remember that? Let's go ahead and go for it. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Sounds good. I want to see you. Sing it again. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Isn't that beautiful? That's what God does for kingdom people. He gives us a different set of eyes. And we're asking the Lord today, God, open the eyes of our heart. We want to see him. We want to see what he would have us to see. Kingdom people live with a different set of eyes. Let's start today in Matthew chapter 6 verses 22 and 23, then we're going to backtrack a little bit, then we're going to fast forward a little bit, and the reason we're going to jump around is because I think 22 and 23 is at the core of everything that Jesus is getting across today out of these verses. So 22 says this, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So he's jumping right into talking about seeing and eyes, right? He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, 
How deep is that darkness? Now, that's wordy, and it's kind of complicated, and we don't really have the time this morning to jump into the weeds and parse out every word that Jesus is saying here. But suffice it to say, what Jesus is getting at here, I think, can be summarized by understanding, first of all, he's using the eye here to really be an analogy for our heart. That's what the whole Sermon on the Mount is about. This is the theme of Jesus' sermon, is about the hearts of kingdom people. So he's using the eye to represent our spiritual hearts. So if your spiritual heart, Jesus says, is healthy, then your whole life is going to be illuminated with the light of God. If your spiritual heart, the eyes of your heart that Jesus has given you are open, then your life and your mind is going to be illuminated with the light of God, with the truth of God, with the love of God. But if your heart isn't healthy, if you have not followed Christ, you've not trusted Christ, you still have a a heart of stone in you, then your heart is still filled with darkness and your life is not lit up with the light of God and the love of God. What's Jesus' point? His point is kingdom people have a new heart. Kingdom people have new eyes. Kingdom people have a different set of eyes with which to see now. And that gives light to our minds. It gives light to our lives. It causes the way that you and I live in this broken, messy, complicated, weird old world to be very different from the way that we lived before we became followers of Jesus. Now listen, the truth is, as followers of Jesus, there are times that we choose... In a rebellious sort of way, I suppose, against God to close those eyes that God's given us. We we, we shut our eyes off to who he is, to seeing who he is. We shut our eyes off to seeing others the way he sees others. To seeing the world the way we should see the world. But Jesus is saying to his people, no, don't do that. I want you to look today. I want you to look today through the different set of eyes that I've given you. I, I want you to see differently than you've seen. Life lived through kingdom eyes. I'm telling you, it's the best way to live. Has anybody found that to be true? That when you're living with the eyes of your heart open, when you're living your life through the eyes of kingdom eyes, that is life in high def. It's beautiful. It's peaceful. It's it's not perfect. It's not always easy, is it? But it's far better than life without those kingdom eyes. I don't know about you, but I love those uh, videos we see from time to time where military personnel, moms or dads, husbands, wives, whatever the case may be, they, they come home, they surprise their family. They weren't expecting them. Now, I, I cry in church all the time. Y'all know that. I cry when I worship. I cry when I preach. I call it heart water, right? God just squeezes your heart and just squirts out your eyes, right? Typically, I don't deal with heart water when I'm watching a screen, but man, those military reunion videos, they get me every time. Anybody else, do they get you guys? Any other crybabies when it comes to that? If you're not raising your hand, your heart is dead. You're dead. I don't, I don't, you're, and now you're dead to me. I'm just ashamed to know you. Yeah, that doesn't even move your heart. And then recently, I came across another kind of video that, man, hits me. This very same way, which is kind of weird because I, I can't even really relate to this, but it hits me the same way. I have pretty good eyesight. I have actually 2015 vision. Like, I, I can 
you know, see way out there pretty clearly. But in the last year, what I've struggled with is I can't see words right in front of my face. My parents warned me that was coming, and man, it's come. So I've got, I've got the readers now that I'm using privately. There's too much pride in me, man, to be breaking those out in here. And, you know, I know y'all waiting to bust on the old man with my glasses on. So I'm, I keep enlarging the font on my notes is what I'm doing. But, but I see pretty well generally, and, and colors I see fine, but there are people who can't see colors, uh, or the way they see colors is, is off to some degree. Uh, I have friends that are colorblind. Any, any colorblind people in here today? A, a couple of y'all? All right, interesting. So recently I, I've seen these videos where people get surprised with a loved one will purchase them these special pair of glasses that they put them on and it enables them to see color for the first time. I'm like, y'all, it just hits me hard. I picked out one to show you guys today. All right, so brace yourself. I'm giving you a warning, so I'm giving you an advantage here. But, but here you go. Here's one that I found that I liked. Who's crying? I see some of y'all wiper dry eyes. I see you. I'm telling you, when you met Jesus... He gave you a new set of eyes. He enabled you by the presence of his Holy Spirit to begin to see life differently than you can ever see it apart from Jesus. And today in our text, I want us to see four things that we can now see because of the different set of eyes that Jesus has provided for us. So number one is this. Kingdom people see what to care about. Kingdom people see what to care about. And you could even add on to that the most. Kingdom people now can see what to care about the most. Look at what Jesus says, verse 19. Track with me here. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen, a kingdom person is a person who you might say has been hit by the lightning bolt of the grace of God, right? And what follows that lightning bolt of God's grace is the thunderclap of a perspective that is right as it relates to the stuff of the world. That's how you know you've been hit with the lightning bolt of God's grace is because now you see stuff and money and things and materialism simply for what it really is. It's not most important. When you encounter Jesus, the king of this kingdom, the stuff in the world is no longer what it's all about, is it? That no longer is your greatest treasure. You now have a different set of eyes and you see what to, really, what to truly care about the most. Which is not the things of this world that are going to be gone soon. But he says to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And it's not that we don't care about earthly things. But we care about those things in light of what's really real. 
We care about those things in light of what's going to last for all of eternity. And one of the best writers, I think, when it comes to this topic, and he's got several books that I love, and his name's Randy Alcorn, some tremendous resources. I highly recommend him to you. But he has one called The Treasure Principle, and it kind of rocked my life the first time I read The Treasure Principle years ago. And I would encourage you to check that out and read that sometime. But I'll give you a summary of what he's got there in his book. First of all, The Treasure Principle. He says this, you, you can't... Take it with you, but you can't send it on ahead. Chances are, this sounds kind of morbid, but this is my life. This is my livelihood. There's a good chance for a lot of y'all, when your hearse is headed to the cemetery, it'll be me in my hoopty ride, riding right behind your hearse, all right? If you want a Cadillac behind, you got to buy me one because I ain't got one, all right? You ain't going in style, but I'm telling you, there won't be a U-Haul between me and you in that funeral procession, it's going to be the hearse, and then it's going to be your preacher, and then your family as we head to the cemetery. You can't take it with you. But according to Jesus, you can send it on ahead. You can lay up treasure in heaven. And then Alcorn gives the six treasure principle keys. Let me give these to you. Number one is this. God owns everything. Everything. If you have a Cadillac, Bless you, that's fantastic, but you don't own it. Jesus owns it. That, the clothes you got on your back today, Jesus owns those clothes. The food you're going to put in your mouth at lunch today, that's his. That place you left today, your home, Jesus owns that. I know you're thinking, no, the bank owns it. He owns the bank. All right? The Bible says the earth is his. And everything on it. God owns everything. What that makes me is I'm his money manager. It's not mine. It's his. I'm simply here to manage it, steward it, as he would have me to do so. Number two, my heart always goes where I put God's money. My heart always goes where I put God's money. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Watch what happens when you start to reallocate your earthly stuff to heavenly treasure. When you begin to focus more on laying up treasure in heaven than accumulating treasure on earth, your heart's going to go from earth to heaven. It will happen 100% of the time. Third treasure principle key, heaven, the new earth, not the present one, is my home. This isn't where I'm going to be forever. This is temporary. God's going to make all things new. The writer of Hebrews says we're citizens of a better country, a heavenly one. Fourth treasure principle key. I should live today not for the dot, but for the the line. Sound effects, they come free today in today's sermon, all right? I should live not for the dot, but for the the line. You say, what does that mean? Well, the, the dot is the moment, this life. The Bible says it's just a vapor. The line is we go on into eternity forever. How foolish is it to push all the chips in on the the dot? That's gone like that in a New York hiccup. Instead, we ought to be focused on the line that's going to stretch in to forever. Number five, treasure principle key number five. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. If you're worried about your children becoming too materialistic, you know what you need to do? Teach them to become givers. Because giving is the only antidote to materialism. Giving is joyful surrender, isn't it? 
It's joyful surrender of what is God's already back to God. It's joyful surrender of something he's given to me to go back to one who's greater than me, who has a greater agenda than I do, a greater plan than I do, a greater perspective than I do. Here's what giving is. Here's what giving does. Giving dethrones me as the king of my world. And it exalts Jesus as my king. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. Sixth treasure principle key is this. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. God will provide more than I need. Not so I can can it and sit on the can, but he's going to provide more than I need so that I can be the conduit through which he provides for others in the world around me. There's hundreds of ways today we could talk about what being a faithful steward of the resources God gives us looks like. I'll give you the three fundamental ways that looks like and is fleshed out at Grace Life. One is the tithe. Everybody goes, oh, here we go. Man, this is good news. This is good news. If, if you flinch when you hear the word tithe, you're totally missing the whole point. Everything's God's, right? And so he goes, Glenn, you keep 90%, just give me 10% back as an act of worship. Give me 10% back as a, a way to make sure that you're free of materialism and having idols in your life. It's, it's for your good, right? 10%. So whatever God brings to us, this is baseline. Baseline as a follower of Jesus. 10% of whatever God puts into my hands, I want to turn around, I want to give it right back to God. So I want to encourage you today, if you're a follower of Jesus, I think that's where, where your starting line is. As, as a manager of everything that God has trusted with you, that's, that's the baseline starting place, the tithe. Then, when you get to that place, now you're in position to start giving offerings to the Lord. Okay, Nail down the tithe, then begin to move into offerings. And again, that can look a a lot of different ways, not just through the organized church, but even as the Holy Spirit's prompting you throughout your life. That could look, in, but, but for right now, I'm just speaking at Grace Life the way this kind of looks. And an, an offering, for example, here would be an offering that we call the gift. The gift is kind of our capital funds offering that happens here at Grace Life. I don't know if you've noticed, but we kind of got a big place going here. We got a fully functioning church family and Lots of ministries and resources and missions and things that we do. And then at the same time, we're operating a 72-acre park for everybody that lives all over this region in these 23 zip codes that we're getting to touch all the time. And we noticed nearly 20 years ago now that there were no parks around here for families to relax, to recreate, for families to enjoy one another. And so we asked the Lord if we could provide that, and the Lord said yes. And today now we've got a 72-acre park that's not owned by the government, but it's owned by God. Actually, God owns all the government too. Don't tell them. It'll mess their life up if you tell them that, all right? He owns everything. And so what the gift offering goes to is it can help us pay down our debt faster, which is great. It can help us do things here that we need to do to reach people with the gospel. We need more parking spaces or we need more room for 
preschool because that's a real reality in our life right now. It is getting packed out in that place. Or there's some things that we can better do in the park atmosphere to leverage all of that for kingdom purposes and all that's great too. And then there's this third big stewardship bucket at Grace Life called the World Impact Offering. And this is how we fund so much of the mission work that you keep hearing about and stuff you're going to be reading on Mission Mondays on the Zips and partnerships. And you're going to be hearing more about that in the days to come. But what are we saying here today? God gives kingdom people a different set of eyes. We see different now. Kingdom people see what to care about. What to care about the most. Number two, kingdom people see who to care about the most. Who to care about the most. Look at verse 24. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Can I ask you a question? What usually has most of your mind's attention? What usually has most of your heart's affection? If you can answer that question, my mind's attention is most often on this, or my heart's affection is usually most often wrapped around this. When you answer that question, you've just defined who your master is. You're defining what it is that masters you, what it is that dominates you, what it is that stays heavy on the windshield of your life. Maybe it's money, maybe it's stuff, maybe it's success, maybe it's influence, but true kingdom people know who to care about the most, supremely. This doesn't mean that kingdom people don't care about others. doesn't mean kingdom people don't care about earthly human beings. In fact, because kingdom people care most about God, they're most free then to care well for the people around them. For example, marriages work better when, when the husbands care more about Jesus than they do their wife. Did you know that? That's true. Did you catch that? Y'all are looking at me like I'm from another planet. Let me say that again. Marriages flourish. They do much better when husbands care more about Jesus than they do their own wife. Marriages do better when wives care more about Jesus than they do their own husband. Parents do better when they care more about Jesus than they do their own children. Right? So, With these kingdom eyes now, we can see who to care about the most, and that sets us free. Now that Jesus is my master, he's my Lord, he's my king, now I can flourish as a husband. Now I can flourish as a father. Now I can flourish as a friend. Now I can flourish as a pastor. Joshua said, choose you today who your master's going to be. Choose you today, he said, who you're going to serve. But as for me and for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Because you can't have two masters. You can't have two lords. You can't have two kings. You can't care about something the most and something else the most. Only one thing can you care about. Only one person can you care about the most. And with these kingdom eyes, we see who that is. It's God. And it's God alone. So what are we saying? God gives kingdom people a different set of eyes. Kingdom people see what to care about the most. Kingdom people see who to care about the most. Now, some of you are freaking out. Like, you're like, maybe you get, you're kind of a worrier when it comes to your stuff, your stuff, right? You kind of worry, and and even this sermon, you're like, okay, I feel like the Holy Spirit's any moment going to start prying my fingers 
away from my stuff, and I don't like that feeling, and I'm already trying to figure this out, and you're kind of just given to worry and anxiety. Well, then this third point's for you. Kingdom people with this new set of eyes, they see who cares for them. They see who cares for them. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Now, I want you to know here, Jesus isn't saying don't work. He's saying don't worry. He's saying don't worry. Work is a good gift from God to us, by the way. Did you know that? Work is just simply another way we get to worship God. When you do your job, you do it well, you do it faithfully, you do it as unto the Lord, that's that's an act of worship. God's created us to work, to make things better to improve upon things, to create things, to serve other people, to have influence, godly influence. Work is a way that we get to worship God. So don't take what Jesus is saying here as, oh, he cares so much about me, I can sit back and I don't have to do anything, and God's going to send me a check every month. That's not how God operates. In fact, God detests that kind of attitude and that kind of way of thinking. That's not what God is saying. He's saying, go to work, but stop your worrying. You don't have to worry about your stuff because God's got it. With these kingdom I see now, you can see who cares for you the most. Who's going to meet all of your needs? Look at what he says in verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? I can tell you why I worry about clothes. Are they going to (laughs) fit? I don't worry about it. It's just a present concern that I have going on in my life. And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. So don't worry. Saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But you, kingdom person, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry. I think he said that three or four times now, right? Don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He says so much there, but it's so clear, right? And it's so liberating, I don't feel the need to dive into that and overcomplicate it. I just really want to breathe in what he said there. Just seek first. Just, Joel, Joel, hold up, bro. Just seek first. My kingdom and my righteousness. I'll handle, I'll handle all the stuff. I'll handle all the, the details, he says. So what are we saying today, church? God gives kingdom people different set of eyes and with this different set of eyes we see what to care about the most we see who to care about the most we see who cares for us the most number four and with this different set of eyes kingdom people see how to care for others 
we see how to care for others. Let me ask you, when you go into the world tomorrow, are, are you hoping to cross paths with somebody that's going to condemn you? Or are you hoping to cross paths with somebody who would actually care about you? None of us wake up looking and hoping and praying, God, send somebody to me today that's going to be condemning toward me, right? But we do wake up with this need of care, that somebody would care for us. Listen, here's what Jesus is going to get after. Kingdom people, our default now is not to condemn. Our default as kingdom people is to care, to care for others. Chapter 7, verse 1. Same sermon from Jesus. There was no chapter numbers or verse numbers when he preached this. We're just following with him, right? He says this, do not judge so you won't be judged. Now let me pause for a moment because I know probably maybe some in this room, certainly a lot outside this room, this is the most popular verse in the world today. People that don't know any other verse in the Bible today, they tend to know this one, right? We're not supposed to, to judge. This verse is so popular because people want to believe that Jesus is actually commanding people to be accepting of everything. People love this verse because they want to believe Jesus is commanding us to be accepting of any behavior. Any lifestyle, any attitude, any teaching. But actually later in this sermon, Jesus is going to command us to assess ourselves and to assess other people. And the only way you can assess yourself and to assess other people is going to require a little bit of judging to be able to do that. Let me be clear. Unconditional love exists in the kingdom of heaven. Unconditional approval does not exist in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this might be shocking to some people today in our world, but actually in Jesus, I have the ability now to love people deeply who are also living in a way that is completely opposite of what God would have us to live according to his word. I don't have to hate those people or be mean to those people or be angry toward people who are living in a way that is in opposition to the word of God. It's possible that I can love them and hold to biblical standards at the same time. Jesus is not telling us in chapter 7 verse 1 to accept and endorse and celebrate everything. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's talking to kingdom people and he's saying kingdom people. Watch out now. Be careful how you go about discerning. Be careful how you go about discerning right from wrong and navigating that and, and dealing with that. In other words, we can truly, as kingdom people, care for other people without condemning them. All right? Let me give you some things to consider. You might want to write these down or take pictures on your phone. How to care for others without condemning them. First, don't assume the worst. Boy, don't we do that? We just assume the worst. We paint a picture in our mind of all the details of that individual, and we think we've got them pegged out, right? We assume the worst. Don't do that, kingdom people. Secondly, don't only speak of their faults. So easily we can become a broken record, and all we do is just rehearse 
their faults, their differences over and over. And that's all we speak of. Don't do that, kingdom people. Third, don't judge an entire life by its worst moment. Don't judge an entire life by its worst moment. We do that. Kingdom people should not do that. We should not judge a person in their entire life by their worst moment. Don't assume you know the motive. Don't assume that you know what's driving that. You don't. You don't know the heart. Let's not jump to that conclusion. And finally, don't forget God's going to judge you one day too. Keep that in mind, right? And that will kind of change the way we approach these moments. Jesus says in verse 2 of chapter 7, For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure that you use. And then Jesus really gets to the point. Kingdom people don't look for opportunities to condemn people. Kingdom people look for opportunities to care for people. Look at what he says next, verse 3. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye? Now, if there's somebody that's got a splinter in their eye, do you think Jesus would have kingdom people care about that? And care about that person? Are y'all living? Are y'all okay? Let me rephrase. You are in a conversation with somebody, but they got a toothpick hanging out of their retina. Do you think Jesus would want you to say a little something, show a little care about that? Yes. Track with me here. Jesus says, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye? Remember, Jesus started this whole conversation by talking about the eye, right? So he's really talking about the heart here. This is another analogy about our heart. Notice that Jesus isn't telling us to pretend their heart's okay. He's not telling us to ignore what's going on in their heart. He's not telling us to ignore their need. We, we see there's a need. They got a toothpick hanging out their eyeball. Jesus is saying they got something wrong in their heart. They, they can't see truth. They can't see God. They don't understand. They have a heart issue. They don't know it. They can't see it. But you're a kingdom person. You got a different set of eyes. You know it. You can see it. What do you do with that knowledge? What do you do with that sight? Do you pounce and condemn? No, you care. That's what he's going to get at. You know their heart needs Jesus. He's not saying ignore the splinter. He's not telling us, go, hey, what a great looking splinter you got hanging out your retina. Woo! Let's have a whole day devoted to people with toothpicks stuck in their retina and have a, have a celebration. That's not what he's saying here. We ought to care about these people. This person has a problem in their heart and it should not be ignored, right? Jesus says, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye? But, but here's the deal. But you don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye. And look, you got a two by four sticking out of yours. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye. You're a kingdom person. You can see it. You know what to do. They don't. Deal with what you got going on. Then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. What in the world? Let me tell you what Jesus is getting at. You have a, a person in your life, and, and they're living in darkness. And Jesus says, I don't want you to run to condemn them. I want you to run to care about them. And the first step to caring well for a person who's in the dark is to first pay attention to your own heart. 
Pay attention to your own spiritual eyes that you're seeing what is right. Make sure that there isn't a blind spot in your own life. Make sure there's not sin in your life that you're turning a blind eye to. Make sure that your heart is right. That your sight is clear first. Then go and care for that person. And help them see truth. Help them see grace. Then Jesus says, verse 6, Don't give what's holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. That's kind of a weird verse to tack on right there in that moment, it seems like. But here's what I think Jesus is saying. Don't be judgmental, but don't suspend all judgment either, kingdom people. Don't go all judgmental, but don't suspend all judgment. Because kingdom people, according to what Jesus just said in verse 6, kingdom people need to be able to discern, right? What's holy from what's unholy. Kingdom people need to be able to judge what are things of dogs and what are things of God. Don't be judgmental, but don't suspend all judgment. Kingdom people need to know these things. So what have we said here today? God gives kingdom people a different set of eyes. Anybody remember hearing that today? Okay, I've really lost confidence in y'all today. I just, I just want you to know that. Like, I'm really struggling to feel like you're with me here today. So I still love you. I still, I'm not condemning. I care for you. I'm just calling toothpicks. I'm just calling toothpicks. So what are we saying? God gives kingdom people a different set of eyes. Kingdom people see what to care about the most. Kingdom people see who to care about the most. Kingdom see, people see who cares about them the most. And kingdom people see how to care for others. Listen, when you gave your life to Jesus, this is what he did. He gave you a different set of eyes so that you can see as God would have you to see. Today, Jesus is saying, hey, don't, don't close those eyes. You, you prayed it with me. You didn't know I suckered you into a prayer earlier, but I did. That song we sang is a prayer. You prayed, God, open the eyes of my heart. And that ought to be our prayer today. God, these new eyes that you've given me, as a follower of Jesus, I want those eyes to be open. Open the eyes of my heart, God. And first, let's look to the cross. Let's look to the empty grave. Let's look to heaven where that throne is occupied by our King, King Jesus. And then with those different eyes, let's look around the world around us. Do you see what we're supposed to care about the most? The answer to that is treasure in heaven. What are we supposed to care about the most? I heard one overachiever. I don't know who it was, but God bless you. Treasure in heaven. What are we supposed to care about the most? Treasure in heaven. Do you see who we're supposed to care about the most? The answer is God and God alone. Who are we supposed to care about the most? God and God alone. Do you see who cares for you the most? Our Father in heaven. That's the answer. Who cares for you the most? Our Father in heaven. And do you see how we're supposed to care for those around us? We care and we don't condemn. That's the answer. How do we care for those around us? We, we care and we don't condemn. So God, this is our prayer today. That this kind of different would be our reality in this world. You've called us into a different kingdom to live different lives for your glory. So help us do that, God. With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, let this sink in. 
Jesus wants to live in you and through you. In your skin, he wants to invade your zip code. In your skin, he wants to move into your neighborhood. In your skin, in your life, through you, in you and through you, he wants to go into your home and eat with your family. And sit in your school and work in your workplaces. He wants to walk your streets and shop in your stores and sit around fire pits with your friends. His kingdom come in you, through you. His will be done on earth, in your zip code, at your house, at your school, in your workplace. His kingdom come, his will be done right there in those places as it is in heaven. This morning I'm convinced that Jesus is worth it. And he is worthy. He is worthy of all of our trust. He is worthy of our surrender. He is worthy today of us to say, Jesus, I want to build my life on you. and Nothing else. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In Jesus' name, I want to invite you to stand and let's worship together. Let's pray, let's worship, let's respond to what God's saying to our hearts today. Eyes open. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you say, man, I need to see and I need to be saved and I need my sin to be forgiven and I'm not really sure where to start. I'm your guy right now. I know I ain't much, but I'm, you, I'm all you got right now, all right? So you just come as we sing and say, hey, I just need to talk to you. I need to know Jesus. I'm not even sure what that means, but I want to have a conversation. Can we do that? The answer is going to be yes, I promise you. That will be my answer. All right? Let's worship. Let's enjoy the Lord.